Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. In this episode, Remember to Live Expectantly, we conclude the survey of 2 Peter in the Remember series. You'll see how Peter encouraged people to live expectantly as they wait for Jesus' return by evangelizing others, living morally, and growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. May we be challenged to do likewise as we eagerly anticipate Jesus' arrival. Here's Senior Pastor Perry Dunn. Pray that refrain, even so come. You ever feel like that? Lord, we're ready right now. Today we finish our survey of 2 Peter called Remember. Um, It's a challenging book. It's challenging to preach, probably challenging to hear. There's some surprising things in it. Uh, My hope is that you were informed and challenged but ultimately encouraged by this book. Hopefully, did that happen for you? Informed, challenged, and encouraged. It's a good standard, I think, to apply to all the passages, even the ones that we read ourselves. The title to this morning's message is Remember to Live Expectantly. Check out your program if you received one at the door. The theme verse is part of verse 13 from 2 Peter chapter 3. This is a short book, only three chapters long. We'll finish up today. And so part of verse 13 says, We are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth He has promised. Now this letter, I'll give you a little background again. Some of you aren't able to be here every week. This letter was written by Peter, one of the... uh, original disciples of Jesus, probably the most outspoken one, um, sometimes wisely, sometimes less than wisely, uh, written likely in his last year of life, which was probably 67 or 68 AD. And it's most likely that he wrote from prison. Peter was martyred by the Roman emperor Nero, who died in 68, And according to church tradition, he died in an unusual way. Do you know what it it was? He was crucified upside down, an inverted cross, and he died that way at his own request. What was the reason? He didn't think he deserved to die the way Jesus did. So Peter is in prison. He's in the last days of his life. Perhaps he's been told by the Spirit. Perhaps he's just, you know, looking at the situation he was in. He knew he wouldn't live much longer. And so he was motivated to pour out that that was most important to the people who were most important. I think as we near the end of our lives, it's very common. And so these people he cared about, he wanted them to hear about some very important truths that were being distorted, challenged by false teachers who had infiltrated the church. Now these errant doctrines, notably two that we're aware of, included the fact that immorality, not a fact, but the supposition that immorality didn't affect spirituality. That's what the false teachers were asserting. You can be immoral, you can be promiscuous, it doesn't affect your 
spiritual nature or standing. The other false teaching was that Jesus was not going to return to earth. So in other words, there would be no accountability. So live however, however you want. Peter argued forcefully in the first part of 2 Peter chapter 3 that Jesus would return. That was last week's message. I also uh, left some booklets that are out there today that just sort of draw together verses and some principles about Jesus' return. It came out of a chapter of a book I wrote a number of years ago. But if you have any interest in that, they're available as you leave. But Jesus, but Peter encouraged these believers to live expectantly, which means hopefully, eagerly, anticipating the day when the Lord Jesus would wonderfully appear. So how do you find yourself living today? Expectantly? You say, well, the situation that we're living in is, is very, very challenging, very discouraging, very threatening. When Peter wrote, Rome was in complete power and domination. Christians were constantly being harassed, persecuted, put to death. So whatever you think about the situation our culture is in, it doesn't compare with the situation that Peter lived in. And yet, Peter said, live expectantly, looking to Jesus' return. And so that's the first way that we live expectantly, as we look for the arrival of Jesus. Verse 11. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, how? By fire. What holy, what does holy mean? Set apart. Set apart from what and for what? What? From the world or from sin specifically and for Christ. Yeah, that's a good definition of holy. We can think as though it's just this ooh, spirituality. Mm. Set apart is a much clearer definition. And godly. Godly really means just devoted to God. Um, having affection for God. Having worship for God. It's just you're living God word in other words. So what holy and godly lives you should live. Peter used the impending destruction of the universe by fire as motivation for living as people who are committed to God and convicted about sin so that they reject immorality. Continue in verse 12. Looking forward to the day of God, the day of the Lord, and hurrying it along. Those of you who've been around Brookwood have, have heard me tell the story of a friend of mine, Gary Levi. He went to uh, Georgia while I did. Um, his brother was in law school with me. 
They were from Columbus. I moved to Columbus. I practiced in one firm. Gary's brother and I became roommates. He practiced in a different firm. But Gary was one of those guys that didn't fit in. Do you know anybody like that? They don't fit in. Nice enough. He had reasonably good table manners. Was always adequately dressed. He didn't fit in this world. Do you know, does anybody know anybody like that? He just never fit in. Because he lived for another world. Gary finished college, but started a pulpwood business, logging, so that it gave him time and freedom to do mission work all over the world. But Gary would write me notes, leave me messages. We didn't, for those young ones, we didn't have text in those days. You actually had a pen and paper that you used. And so he would leave me a little, sometimes a little scrap of paper, which was his way. And it would always say the same thing. Whatever he wrote, it would, he, would, he would call me by initial, my initial, and he would pee. Maybe today, Gary. Always the same closing. P, maybe today. Gary. There's a family in the church who, who is from Columbus and their father knew Gary well. Gary um, was struck with brain cancer and died now several years ago. His sister was in our church for a number of years. In fact, she was here about a month ago. Uh, but Gary's buried up on a hill where they moved an old, old white wooden church. But he was, more than anybody I've ever known, he lived for another world, not this world. And yet, I think Peter calls us all to that. How many of us find ourselves too comfortable in this world? And irritated when it's not comfortable. Believers, including us, must not merely wait passively for Jesus to return. See, that, that verse said, and, and hurry it along. That's a little strange, isn't it? We're called to, to, to be busy about the work of Jesus, the work he assigned, it us, to, assigned us to do includes worship and prayer and evangelism and caring for people in need. At Brookwood, we refer to this as communicating with God, connecting with, Christ, with Christians, caring for others, kind of a balanced way of, of growing in Christ. But the end of that verse said, and hurry it along. Can we hurry along the return of Jesus? You believe that? How? Okay. Roland's right. Matthew 24. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. 
Are we doing our part? Are we reaching out? Are we inviting? Are we encouraging? I don't think that any of us can convert people, but we certainly can invite them. And the Spirit converts. Continue in verse 12. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire, and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that he has promised. You find it in Isaiah 65 and 66. You find it in Revelation 21. A world filled with God's righteousness. We can can be confident in God's promise to, to return, but also to bring justice at the time of Jesus' return. Justice and righteousness are essentially synonyms. We, righteousness is to be right with God. God is always just, which means things are punished in the measure that they ought to be, not overpunished, not underpunished. People are treated the way they ought to be treated. And all of us should be purveyors of justice and where we see people mistreated we should insert ourselves the new heavens and new earth will be a permanent place of righteousness which means all is right with God that's what righteousness means so there'll be no evil no fear no temptation No sin, no sorrow, no more. Sounds good, doesn't it? We've had some hard days, haven't we? Verse 14. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting, we're waiting right now, Boy, didn't Kara and the ladies sing that to us so well, so beautifully. And I've known that lovely young lady since she was in high school. And she's still ministering so beautifully as a teacher now. While you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Believers are to be morally pure and blameless. That's in contrast with the false teachers. I think sometimes we get it wrong. We think, oh, God's coming. He's already forgiven us and we can kind of do what we want. That's false teaching, isn't it? That we've come under the influence of. Since only the righteous will reside in the new heaven and the new earth in the future, Peter's audience should take an interest in practicing righteousness in the presence. In other words, 
if you don't want to live purely without blame, righteously, being rightly related to God, why would you even want to go to heaven? You may say, well, the alternative is frightening. But is that the only motivation? Where's the passion for Christ? And we must prepare for Jesus' return by living in ways that please Him now. I mean, if, he's, if He arrives today, well, let me say it this way. Imagine your last 24 hours. Are you comfortable if He had come any time in that last 24 hours? 48, 72. Or was there a time you thought, I would not want him to have shown up during this period. But see, we live in readiness of his arrival. To be ready when he arrives. And, And it's how we'll live for eternity. It's living with an awareness that a special guest is coming. How many of you do more cleaning when you know a guest is coming? Come on, I'm going to see hands. You know, my, um, I don't know where Leanne is. Usually she's in here somewhere. But um, two of the grandsons are coming. They're going to bolt into our lives this Friday. So Leanne's already thinking, okay, we pull out the, the tunnel and the tower. Oh, yeah, we have tunnels. We have towers. We have um, put together with Velcro, and we have all kinds of kids' toys. They're tucked in every, in the spare bedrooms, in all the cupboards, in the shoe drops, in the cabinets, and, and these, these boys know where everything is. And so they will come, and they'll only be with us about 24 hours, and our house will be in devastation. But as we prepare for the arrival of some very special guest, it shows in our lives. It shows in our house. It will at the end of the week. What about your life? What about your home? What about your marriage? Does it look like you're awaiting the arrival of a special guest? Because you are. Expectant living also includes leading others to faith. Verse 15. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. See, the scoffers, the false teachers, same people, they declared that Jesus' delay in returning indicated that he would not come at all. I think people are living like that now, don't you, Bob? Because God hasn't punished us each time we sin, a lot of folks have decided he's not going to punish us at all. And we live how we want. But that's false teaching induced by our culture, by the media, unfortunately, sometimes by church, by Christians. But believers should understand the delay in Jesus' return is actually evidence of God's what? 
His love for us. And particularly what we looked at, what word from last week? His mercy. God's merciful patience, which allows the opportunity for people to be saved. Do you have any role in that? We have an important and essential role in bringing people to belief in Christ. All right, now I'm going to, it's a little theological. You say, well, you keep telling us all the names are written down, but when? Do you believe that? God already knows. So then what are we doing? We're claiming the ones he's called. They're, he's not coming back. Till all who've been recorded are regenerated. And so we go and we share and we witness and we persuade. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. So we are Christ's ambassadors. And God is making his appeal. How? Is he making it through you, Clint? Through us. Through us, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Who are you pleading with? Who are you talking to? Are you calling people back to God? By telling your story, by inviting them to services. I don't think, as I said, I don't think that we by ourselves can convert but we sure can tell our story. We can invite people to where they'll hear the good news. I don't think you have to memorize, you know, 50 verses to be able to talk about Christ. You tell your story. Look at this. 1 Peter 3.15 says it this way. And instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. People will see it. See. When you're living that way, people will know it, won't they? And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, be ready to explain it. Well, why would they ask you? What makes them curious? The way you live. What'd you say? Oh, yeah, they saw the change. Has there been a big change in you? <laughs> and, and she will be ready to answer any questions at the end of this. But how about by the way you respond to difficult situations? You get passed over for promotion. You get undermined unfairly. I know that some of you had taken a look into our family when we were visited with a serious health issue and so many of you have prayed with us and many of you have even made generous contributions to my daughter's family and you've supported in so many ways and all of you pray but you also look and say how are they handling this how are we handling this can we trust in God and struggle Yes, we can. Yes, we can. But every day is not good. 
by praying for people's problems. How many of you have ever stopped and prayed for someone in public, spontaneously? Let me see your hands. Yes, beautiful, beautiful. Leanne and I were in um, Napoli a few weeks back. Graham was in the hospital. And boy, it showed on us. Some of y'all have seen me in here the mornings. It has shown on me. A young, delightful young lady that was a wait staff person could tell because we're regulars and we told her what was going on. And this, this young lady stopped. She actually crawled into the pew, I mean the bench, and she prayed. And she, she lifted us up. How many of us are looking for those opportunities? How many of us see them? You don't need to stop in the middle of food line and start quoting verses. But when you see the burdened person, do you just say, what's troubling you? Can I pray? Can I pray? I think sometimes saying, have a blessed day. I don't think that's just spiritualizing. I think when people tell me, have a blessed day, it tells me they know the Savior. Because someone has to bestow blessing. When someone just says, I'm praying for this situation. Again, spontaneous. I'm praying for these poor families in Texas. I'm praying for this situation in our world. I'm praying for these other problems. You just say it. And then let the people hear and respond how they want Let God open the door, but you be ready to walk through it. Are you ready? You don't have to lecture. You only need a few. You know, when you want to say a paragraph, say a sentence. When you want to say 42 words, say three. Verse 15. This is what our beloved Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him, which means inspired. Speaking of these things in all of his letters. You see, the the recipients of Peter's letter lived in Asia Minor, but Paul also ministered there and wrote letters. So they knew the writings of Paul as well. They had received them. And they knew that Paul expressed views very similar to what Peter was saying about the certainty of Jesus' return, about the reasons for his delay. So they paralleled. And then he said this, some of his, Paul's comments, are hard to understand. Anybody find Revelation hard to decipher? Well, you're in good company. In fact, when I find someone who's diagrammed everything out, I go, hmm. Peter needed to talk to you because he seems confused, and I am too. And those who are ignorant, Peter admitted, let me see, Peter admitted that he couldn't figure out everything that was going to happen. He didn't understand the events that would accompany Jesus' return. They're difficult to interpret. I mean, it's hard for us to discern today how will this occur practically there's all kinds of folks say it's oh no it's going to happen 
in New York City. No, it's going to happen only in Israel. No, it's going to ha- I mean, we're in the middle of the tribulation. Oh, no, the tribulation hasn't happened. But the black horse is ridden by. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, you know. The vials, some of the vials are poured out. Where, where, what's it, I mean, I'm like Peter. I'm not sure. Some of these things are hard to understand. And we still have difficulty grasping what these references to Jesus' return mean today. That doesn't mean don't read, don't study, don't ask for inspiration, don't ask for understanding. Revelation is the only book in the Bible that promises what? A blessing just from reading it. Only book in the Bible. So we're encouraged, though deciphering is difficult. We continue in in 16. And those who are ignorant, which means lack of information, and unstable, which means spiritually unsettled, have twisted his letters to mean something quite different just as they do other parts of Scripture. And this will result in their destruction. Peter expressed a high regard for Paul's writings. I mean, he he classified Paul's writings as Scripture, which is a little strange, isn't it, considering that these two were contemporaries and they clashed a couple of times. Did you know that? And yet Peter said, I can't understand this guy all the time, but he's speaking for God. Even at this early stage of church history, Paul's writings were being deliberately misrepresented, misapplied by teachers who were rejecting God's way and substituting their own preferences and opinions, which would, according to this passage, lead to their judgment. What about us? When we read the scripture, are we trying to understand what God means to be saying to us and then apply God's word in our lives in practical ways without altering or ignoring the meaning? And also by refusing to accommodate what the scripture says to our culture's biases. Because... It seems like as the days go on, the scripture conflicts more and more with where our culture is. So where are you going to stand? Can't compromise God's word. You don't have to angrily. Remember that. We never do things confronting anger. We are always humble. But we don't turn loose of what God says. Expectant living includes learning our Savior. Verse 17. I am warning you ahead of time, dear friends. Be on guard so that you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people who were characterized by immorality, promiscuity, and lose your own secure footing. See, remember, these false teachers we saw in chapter 2, they, they seem to really grasp faith. They seemed to really have changes in their lives, didn't they? They seemed to experience Jesus. But then they moved from the Scripture's teaching and the Apostles' teaching to sort of their own version of things. And it would lead to destruction, teaching these non-biblical 
doctrines and misleading other people along the way. And so Peter cautioned his audience, don't lose your secure footing. Is your footing secure, church? Are you standing secure in what you believe in your morality and your practice? Don't slip. Don't slip and fall away. The best way to recognize and reject incorrect teaching is to grow in our understanding of Jesus and his work. Knowing Jesus, knowing his Bible. Verse 13, rather you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, grace is the Greek word charis, but what does it mean? What is grace? Give me a short definition. That's a good definition, unmerited favor. But realize what it means. You're getting something good you did not deserve. Because we can say unmerited favor too many times and lose an understanding of what it means. But it does mean that God divinely influenced your heart, your mind, in a way that becomes reflected in your life. And growing in grace is essentially maturing as a believer. It's moving forward. It's experiencing Christ in an ever more intimate way. So you will not regress and fall back. We are saved. Saved means forgiven or regenerated, receiving a new life. We're sanctified. Sanctified means what? Becoming more like Christ. And we're eventually glorified. Now, what does that mean? You'll be given a body that's eternal in nature. All of those things occur by grace alone. We are not capable of doing any of those things. They happen through God's efforts. But we cooperate as we pursue Christ. So we do have a role in it. Look at John 17. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ the one you sent to earth. In other words, eternal life, meaning living spiritually, living connected to God, comes through knowing Christ. But that doesn't mean just you made a decision years ago because knowing is continual, isn't it? You two just got married, didn't you? Some of you, you see, it takes a while to know. You get engaged. You think you know when you're engaged, don't you? But you haven't learned yet. <laughs> Leanne and I have almost been married 35 years. But let me tell you this. I'm about to understand her. But it, have you noticed it takes a while? It takes a while. And so if it takes a while to learn a person, how long does it take to learn Christ? So we grow in grace through the Spirit's work as we increase our knowledge of Jesus. 
through prayer, through reading and studying the Bible, through... And we do that individually. We do that in groups. And let me say, okay, how many of you have a slower pace in the summer? Nobody? You're scared of what I'm going to say next, aren't you? Take a step this summer. Instead of reading some novel, I can already tell you. He sees her. She sees him. They look good to each other. They get this confusion about their conversation and they misinterpret each other but then they come back together that's every novel for the summer (laughs) so forget them so read God's word you can read through the Psalms you can read one chapter of Proverbs a day you could I don't I'm not gonna say read the whole Bible that's that can be difficult to do in a couple of months read the New Testament read one of the Gospels choose one thing to grow in. And you can ask those questions I gave you early. Where, what did I learn? What's the information? What's the challenge? What's the encouragement? Take a step this summer. Take a step. Also, we grow by serving others. I mean, there's a great ministry that's out there in the concourse, World Relief, and they're helping displaced persons. That's not a political issue, y'all. Helping people in need, that's a Christian's call. You don't have to figure out everything about their background. You understand? We do our calling. We let the government do their calling. You see? These actions don't mature us by themselves. But God uses these and other spiritual practices and life experiences to grow us as we learn the ways of our Savior. Look at this verse. a great verse from Psalm. Teach me your ways, O Lord. It it doesn't say, teach me information about you. That's different, isn't it? Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. See, when when we're in a relationship, again, like a marriage, you can know a lot of information you date somebody, you know where they were born, you know their birth date, you might know their parents, you know some information. Does that let you get along with them? What do you think, Brantley? No. You have to know their ways, their nature, their character. And we have to know God's in the same way. The more we know Jesus, and I, when I say no, I'm talking about experience. I'm not talking about cognitive information. The more we experience him, which is to know, the more we become like him. Colossians 3 says this, put on your new nature, be renewed as you learn to know your creator. And as you know him, you'll become like him. Becoming like him provides greater spiritual sensitivity. It provides discernment. When we know the ways of Christ, Paul called it the mind of Christ. When we have that, in some measure, we won't be so easily carried away by false teaching. Whether it's from the church, from the culture, from the media. You know what I'm saying? You've grown in Christ and something's 
offered to you. You're invited into something. And it's like the alarm bell just goes off and says, no. Sometimes it's a person who's trying to wade into your life. And the alarm bell goes, no, no. Are you learning your Savior so that you're becoming like Him so that you won't lose your secure footing in the faith? You'll be able to stand no matter what approaches you. Peter closed this letter with a call to worship and adore God. He says, all glory and honor to him both now and forevermore. That's a, essentially a, a benediction or even a doxology. Speaking of the glory of God. So he considered Jesus to be fully divine, equal in honor to God the Father. Because of that, Jesus is due glory, which is doxa, which literally says brightness, but, but I like to define it as saying he's just other than us. He is pure. He is radiant. But in essence, he's just different. But we're becoming more and more like him in measure. So glory is given to Jesus now. We'll shout it when he returns. And we'll declare it for eternity. I want you to remember what Gary always said to me and I say to you. Maybe today. Maybe today. Care volunteers will be here at the front. They'll they'll be in the care connection room. They'll counsel with you, pray with you, anoint you with oil for healing. They're here for whatever you need. Father, I pray that we would be a people who are constantly looking skyward for your arrival. And we are living in that expectation. We praise your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. In our next episode, Brookwood Kids will lead an Adventure Week-style worship experience. Grades 1 through 8 will join families for worship in the auditorium. To prepare, read Psalm 119, verse 37, and Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. All you have to do is email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org, or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast, and if you like this podcast, leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.